Hey, welcome back to Elevation Church. Elevation Church. Funny statement, right? Welcome back to the church, church, because you are the church. This building's not the church. This building is just the building we get to meet in. It's Studio B. It's a, it's a community theater. We lease it every Sunday. We move in. We move out. This is not the church. You are the church. And so when I welcome you to the church, I'm really welcoming you, the church. And so, church, I'm glad to see y'all this morning. Glad y'all are here. Give yourselves a round of applause for getting out of bed on a rainy morning. I don't know what it is about rainy mornings, but they're the easiest mornings in the world to sleep in, aren't they? I don't know why that pitter-patter of rain on the roof and the sun doesn't come out. and It's just a dreary, lazy kind of day. But we don't have a dreary, lazy kind of message this morning. We didn't have a dreary, lazy kind of worship experience uh, this morning as we sang praises and worship to God. And, and we're going to continue with that energy uh, today, but we're going to talk about a tough topic. We're continuing in our series, Red Ink, the series that we are doing that is just investigating the words of Jesus. We're spending our time getting into the words of Christ, and we're trying to find in those words that Jesus said application for our lives right here and now. He may have spoken the words 2,000 years ago, but they have implications in our lives today. They have application in our lives today. We have been for the last four weeks plowing our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount today. We're still going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles with you today, that's okay. We're going to put the verses up on the screen and you can follow along with us there. But I do want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. There's something... I don't know what it is. It's just, there's a spiritual connection when you actually open the pages of your Bible and, and find the Scriptures and read them. And if you don't have a, a Bible that's you know paper and leather and all of that, but you have a smartphone, then you have a Bible there. Just download a Bible app. I like the version. There's lots of good ones out there. And you can carry your Bible with you and have it with you all the time in your phone. So a little public service announcement for reading your Bible and bringing it to church. Matthew chapter 5, tough topic today. I'm not going to sugarcoat our tough topic today. I'm not going to apologize about the subject matter. Jesus didn't apologize about the subject matter, so I'm not going to. I'm going to do my best to preach as boldly as he did. He set a great model for us, and he didn't sugarcoat things. He was down and dirty, nitty-gritty, straight up honest with people. And so we're going to be that today. And it may get in some people's grills. Some of you guys may have some emotional responses and reactions to what we're going to talk about today. Um, if that is the case, again, I'm not apologizing because I believe that God has something to do in you if you have that kind of a response to what we're talking about today. And it's not what we're talking about. It's what Jesus talks about. And it's what he has for us right here today. Valentine's Day week and our tough topic today, we're talking about marriage and specifically, we're talking about adultery and divorce. Two not-so-bright, cheery, pinky, rosy kind of topics. Doesn't seem to fit. But I tell you what, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty, dirty things about love, love is not rose gardens and butterflies and boxes of chocolates and Hallmark cards. Those are wonderful things. Nothing wrong with any of them. Love is work. Love is hard. Love is really getting your sleeves rolled up and getting your hands dirty and sometimes getting your heart broken. And so we're going to talk about real love today. 
in the context of marriage and in the context of adultery and divorce. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. If you would follow along, read with me. Jesus speaking, he says to you, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ladies, this applies to you as well. If you look at a man lustfully, you also have committed adultery in your hearts. This is not a gender-specific thing. Jesus continues, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than to lose your whole body and have it go to hell. He continues about divorce. It's been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Ouch. There's some tough stuff. Those are some hard words. There's some really nitty-gritty, down-and-dirty teaching going on. Jesus references some of the Old Testament law, talking about you've heard it said, but I'm telling you something in addition. This is, this is hard teaching for the people in his times, and I think it's hard, tough, serious teaching for us today. These words have a lot of meaning. These words have a deep impact, and they have some serious implications and some great points of application for every one of us here today. Whether you are married or single, divorced, whatever your marital status might be today, this message is not just for married people. It is for you too. If you're not married, this message is for you too. Because you've either been married or want to be married or will be married or you know somebody who is married. And all of these things we're going to talk about today apply and you need to know and understand and be able to deal with marriage and deal with adultery and divorce because it is rampant in our world. So I hope you will listen. I hope you will learn from what Jesus says and I hope you will apply what he has for us today. I want to talk when it comes to application about five points today. So if you're taking notes, like if you want to grab your little... Um, guest registry card and flip it over on the back. There should be a pen on your seat, should be a card on your seat. If it's not on yours, it's on one near you. You may want to take some notes today. I'm going to do five points. And what I'm going to do is kind of give you five um, really practical things that you can do starting today to protect your marriage if you're married or to protect other people's marriages around you to respect and honor the marital vows that they have taken. If you're not married, if you're dating, some of these will apply to you. If you're dating with the intent of getting married, take double notes. You'll want this later. These are not, by the way, five ways to completely and totally protect your marriage from adultery or from divorce. If I ever find those five, I'll write the book. I'll make lots of money. I'll share it with all of you. It will be great. There are not five indefensible ways to protect your marriage. And the fact, the first time you think you have found 
uh, the perfect way to handle it. The first time you think that your marriage is not, uh, cannot be penetrated, cannot be messed up from the outside, you have taken the first step towards opening your marriage up for utter destruction. When you think that you can't be messed with, that's when you open yourself up the most. We are all vulnerable. It can happen to anybody at any time, and that includes the pastor standing on the platform. So just know that when you go into this application of these five points, this is not the perfect plan. This is a good plan, and it's beginner's baby steps, not an exhaustive list of how to protect or honor marriage. So here we go. Step one. Step one of how to deal with adultery and divorce on the front end before it happens, step one is step back. Step back. You've got to step back from the starting line. Because if you never cross the starting line, then you'll never cross the finish line, right? You've got to step back when you feel that very first spark, that little bit of extra intrigue about that person that you see, that guy or that girl in the office or the neighbor or whoever it is that catches your eye or catches your attention. When you start to feel that connection, step back. That's a red flag. If it is not your spouse that you are feeling that attraction to, red flag, step back from the starting line. This is critically important because most of us think about adultery in terms of a physical act. Jesus messed up our definition of adultery when he said, I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. We talked last week about murder being something more than a physical act. Remember we said that that anger can cause us to have a heart condition. Anger is a heart condition. And when you devalue somebody, when you devalue them because you are angry with them, you strip away their value that God himself put in them, you have committed murder in your heart. Jesus says you can commit adultery in your heart as well. Adultery begins when you don't step back from the starting line. If you step across it, you take that second glance, you take that too long look, you start to imagine, guys do this so, so easily, imagine what it would be like to be with her. You can see, you start undressing her with your eyes. I'm telling on some of us right now. Women do it too, I know. I'm glad to hear a woman confess it. Thank you. I said that for the last two years and women are like, That's right. Women do it too. I think guys are more guilty than girls, but I know girls do it. Girls want to connect emotionally more often. Ladies want to have that that emotional connection. It's the same thing. You can commit adultery in your heart with nothing more than an emotional connection. When you connect with that man, or guys can do this too, that woman, emotionally, instead of connecting with your wife emotionally or your husband emotionally, it's adultery of the heart. You're, you're out of bounds. you got to step back from the starting line because the finish line is not as far away as you think it is. You cross the line into sin the moment that you do not disengage the temptation. Step back from the starting line. Number two, practical, applicable stuff. 
to protect our marriage from adultery and from divorce. Number two, take your thoughts captive. Take your thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul writes about taking your thoughts captive. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is obedience in the area of adultery, in the area of, of divorce, in the area of marriage? Obedience is valuing the vows that you made when you went down that wedding runner and stood before some official, a pastor, a, a judge, somebody who pronounced you man and wife. You gave vows. You made vows. Value the vows. Value the gift of marriage that God has given you. Take captive your thoughts. Again, crossing that starting line and engaging the thought, undressing her or him with your eyes, thinking about what it would be like to you know, be alone with them, to have an emotional connection, to really, really engage this relationship. It's just an innocent relationship. We just work together. It's just a neighbor. It's just a, you know, this person that I met. We're not doing anything wrong, but your mind is running rampant. We can all picture ourselves in a position that we really do not need to be in. Now, I didn't say want, because you may want it in a moment, but that's because you're only seeing the moment. You're not seeing what comes after. Take captive your thoughts. Do not allow your mind to wander into those dangerous waters where you're beginning to see these things and think about uh, uh, these lustful thoughts and pursue a relationship that doesn't need to be there. Be aware of what you're thinking. Be aware of those red flags. They should be popping up when you see the starting line appear in front of you. It's like that commercial. It's an investment commercial. If y'all watch TV, I don't know why I always, I don't even know about the two shows that are on TV. I know a lot more about the commercials. But I think it's Fidelity, and they have this like green line that pops up, and it's the starting line, and you follow the line to your you know, retirement investment, right? You, you know what? It's not a green line that you need to follow. It's, it's you need to, when the red flag pops up, stop, don't stop, don't, don't, don't cross the line. And investigate what's going on in my mind. Take captive your thoughts. Be aware of what you are thinking, of whom you are thinking. Minimize the bad input into your life, into your head. We are like the world's greatest computers. It's it, Right here between your ears, there's like eight or nine inches depending on how fat your head is. Mine's probably about 12. It's not brain capacity, it's just distance, I don't know. But right there in between your ears is the greatest computer in the world. Most powerful computer ever conceived. Because we know that because every computer that's ever been built came out of this. It, it was built because somebody dreamed it up, thought it up, figured out how to do it. We are like computers in that whatever goes in is what's going to come out. There's an old uh, programmer's term, garbage in, garbage out. When you are programming a computer, when you are putting data in, if you put garbage in, flawed data in, you will get flawed results out. Garbage in, garbage out. What are you putting in? What media do you consume? Trina and I have... Um, Verizon Fios cable, and this isn't a shot at Verizon or an endorsement for that matter. Um, 
I had no idea. We had a, a movie package. Don't even know how it got added. I might have done it on a phone call. I have no idea. I, I like to subscribe. We have the basic package, and then I like to hunt and fish, so I added the sportsman's channels. They may have packaged it up with that. I don't know. But somehow or another, we ended up with Cinemax and Showtime. I just discovered this last week. There's a nickname for Cinemax. Y'all know what it is? Skinemax, right? Trina's out of town. I'm flipping channels. Brilliant. Yeah, there's like soft porn. No such thing. Soft porn. I'm like, whoa, what is this? And in the middle of working on this message, in the middle of preparing and praying and being ready to deliver God's word, I'm, I'm studying this. I go to bed, I flip the TV on, I find that, and I have this raging debate in my head. Do I pause and watch this for a minute? Or do I get off this channel in a hurry? You gotta watch the input. You gotta watch the temptations. You gotta know where the starting line is. You gotta take captive your thoughts. I was alone. Nobody would have ever known. Nobody would have ever known. I flipped off the channels. I was there for about three seconds. And in that three seconds, I thought, it was like forever. I thought, what do I do? I'm glad I flipped off. I took captive my thoughts. I thought of my wife and my children. I thought of the impact of what happens if you pursue this path. If I step across the starting line, what comes next? Just like that, I could have committed adultery in my heart. And I was tempted, I promise you. Scary how tempting that can be. You've got to minimize the bad input. What are you putting in? Skinamax? Show all? That was my nickname for Showtime because I found they've got it too. I, call, I told Trina about it, and then I checked the um, guide, you know, because there's no pictures on that, and just looked at the titles. Holy moly, late at night on any of those channels, danger, danger. We're um, getting, on Monday, we're getting rid of all of the movie channels. I'm not saying you need to or have to do that. I'm saying check what's going in. Ladies, what books are you reading? Now, I don't know a guy that reads romance novels. If you are one, this applies to you too, but don't raise your hand because I don't want to know. I don't want to think less of you. I'm just saying, because I will. I will think less of you. If you guys are reading those Harlequin romance, I will. I, I, I confess it right now. So don't raise your hand. But if you're reading those, you're in this. Ladies, what are you putting in your head? What magazine articles are you reading? What, what pictures of buff guys and what soap operas and what romance novels? What is going in? Guys, what are you listening to on the radio on the way to and from work? I love Sports Radio 1310, The Ticket. and I re yeah, Come on now. But I, I realized in the last week, that is not good input. Now, I know it's not good input, but I've made excuses for that for a long time. Oh, I just tune out when Gordo comes on. Somebody knows. There's a ticket hit in the room, right? I'll tune out for the hard line because Corby, you know, he's always the overcuster and all this stuff. I, I try to filter my media, but you know what? I just need to get rid of the channel. Because ESPN doesn't talk like that and doesn't show that kind of stuff unless you watch the commercials. I love DVR. Who's got a DVR? You know, you can fast forward through all the commercials with the chicks in bikinis and the twins and all that. You, you, you can fast forward through all that with DVR. Check the input. Limit the bad that's going in. Do I really need to talk about what's bad input? I didn't think so. We're grown-ups, right? 
pretty much. I mean, except for the guys. We're <laughs> Limit the bad and then focus on the good. It's not just about taking out the bad input. You've got to put something in, right? I mean, we're up all the time. We're up like, you know, 16, 18 hours, some of us 20, 21, 22 hours a day. Something's going in. You're watching, you're listening, you're reading. There is input. What is your input? Sometimes you don't have a choice on your input, but most of the time, to be honest, we do. Are you reading the Word of God? Do you own a Bible? If you do, do you know where it is? How much dust is on the cover? Ouch. There's a lot of us that come to church on Sunday. We call ourselves Christians. Don't even know where our Bibles are. Can't remember the last time we opened them. What's your prayer life like? Do you launch a five-minute rant towards God? Thank you for today, and um, thank you for uh, watching over me, and I've got a good life, and thank you for all my stuff, and uh, peace out, God. <sighs> That's kind of how God receives those prayers. He wants you to talk to Him and be honest, and He wants you to shut up and listen. He's got stuff to say. Imagine if you had a friend that all they ever did was give you the, just the shallow bullet points of their life. Hey man, how you doing today? Oh, I'm good. What you up to? Nothing. Went to work. It was a good day. See you later. How long would you want to stay friends with that person? Some of the guys are like, that's cool. We don't have to talk. I'm good. <laughs> but if that's all there ever was... If that's what your relationship with God looks like, if you never listen to what He has to say, it'd be like the friend who never listens to anything you have to say, who never tells you anything of any substance. Check the input. Good input, bad input. Minimize, eliminate the bad. Maximize the good. Spend time in the Word of God. It doesn't take hours a day. For some of us, minutes would be great. It would be a huge first step. One of the things that I've been challenged with recently in my relationship with the Lord, I was praying about this very thing two weeks ago, and, and it was just like He hit me over the head. I, I, I totally understand the concept of the tithe when it comes to money. 10%. That's cake. That's easy. I get it. How much time do I need to spend with you, God? I mean, what, what's, the, what's the, the, the rule? I don't want to make this a, a, a rule thing. I don't want to make it a, a legalistic thing. But, I mean, what's the benchmark? Where do I need to be? And it was just like he hit me over the head with it. Well, if a tenth of your money is good, how about a tenth of your time? I gave you that too. And without me, you don't have it. So your life is not your own. I started doing the math on a tenth of my time, and it freaked me out. If you sleep eight hours a night, and we take that out of the equation, it leaves you about 112 hours a week of awake time. If you gave God a tenth of that time, about 11, 11 and a half hours a week invested in your relationship with God. Freaked me out. I called some of the leadership team in the church and said, we got to have lunch. Boys, we are missing the mark. 
we're missing the mark. How are we going to lead the church? How are we going to lead our families? We can't even lead ourselves. Some of us, when we, we were dead honest with each other. We looked across the table at each other and said, how much time are you spending with God? And I confessed what I was and was not. And they told me, we've got we to gotta raise the bar, baby. God's not playing around. We get one chance at this life. Why wouldn't we invest back into our relationship with Him the time that He's given us? Because every bit of the time we invest back is going to pay dividends far beyond anything that we can measure. You talk about limiting the bad, just maximize the good, and that cuts out the time you spend with the bad. So I can replace the ticket with an iPod podcast of a pastor preaching a message. I can replace my, my radio time with the Bible out loud. I can spend my mornings getting up 20 minutes early and reading the Word and praying just 20 minutes earlier than I normally do. I put a Bible in that smallest room in the house <clears throat> where some of us spend lots of time, sometimes to get away from everything else that's going on in the house, right? I know all you wives knew we were guilty of that, you know? You go to the bathroom, you shut the door, I ah, can't be bothered, <clears throat> nope, don't want to bother you, and everything, I mean, the chaos is raging in the house, you're like, ha, 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 I'm quiet in here. I put a Bible in there. I can spend some time with the Lord. I'm figuring out how to put 11 or 12 hours of relational connection with God into my week. And when I get there, I have a feeling he's going to tell me he wants me to tithe on the, on the gross, not just the net. And then there's a whole other 56 hours of another five and a half hours of time I'm going to invest. I'm not telling you that's what God's going to do with you. I'm not telling you you have to invest 11 or 12 hours. I'm asking you what you're investing now. And I bet most of you are like me. It was far short of what's necessary. Maximize the good input. Number three. This one's a really easy one. Don't spend time alone with the opposite sex unless it's your spouse. Don't be alone, guys, with another woman other than your wife. Ladies, don't be alone with another man other than your husband. If you're not married, this does not apply to you. You need to be alone together in public. Yeah, I said alone together in public if you're dating. Y'all don't need to be alone alone. That's a whole other set of God's principles we're violating at that point. Be alone together in public. If you're married, don't be alone with a member of the opposite sex that is not your husband or your wife. That's a simple protection you can put in place. Trina and I have been doing this for, I think it's about 14 or 15 years of our 16-year marriage. And the reason we began implementing this is it minimizes the opportunities for bad things to happen. It helps each of us prevent stepping across the starting line. It gives us a great excuse, a great reason to step back from the starting line. We never let the starting line appear by never putting ourselves in a position where we are alone with, with a member of the opposite sex. It is not only the protection of, of not getting into those temptations in the first place that we get from this, though. There's more. It gives Trina great confidence to know that I will never meet behind closed doors with a woman. 
I will never ride in a car alone with another woman. I, I won't do it. Not in a counseling scenario, not in any situation. And she has great, she's seen me do it, many, say no so many times. She has confidence now. She never has to worry or wonder. And she knows if she ever finds me in that situation, it's not innocent. And that's a good check for me too. Because it's such ingrained practice in us now. I would never accidentally end up there. It's a great confidence builder for her. It's great for me to know. She was out of town the entire week. She was on a business trip. Man, I'm going to tell you, if, if, if I could tell you, if I, I wish I would have counted over the years, how many marriages I have counseled where a, a, an adulterous affair took place because of a business trip. Husbands and wives in a hotel room far away from their spouse. They, they fly off to this city or that. They're there for a week. It's a convention. They, they drink at night. They party. And it just, you know, it's like the office Christmas party for a whole week. My wife was gone all week. I didn't worry. You know why I didn't worry? Because she has friends there who know that we've made this commitment. She has a couple of girlfriends. I know she's made it. She knows she's made it. She has a couple of friends there who know she's made it. And she's just not going to be in a situation like that. So I'm home chasing three kids, doing school, prepping a message, you know, painting the house, doing the things that guys do. And I never worried about my wife being in a situation she didn't need to be in while she was down in Orlando for an entire week. And she wouldn't have to worry about me. So there's a confidence that comes when you commit to one another to protect your marriage by never being alone with a member of the opposite sex. My dad explained it to me like this one time. I asked him about a chain link fence. We had a chain link fence around our backyard. You know, about this high. I could run real fast and put one hand on it and jump over it without, I mean, just, you know, whew. I couldn't now, but I could then. I was like, Dad, what good is a chain link fence? He said, it keeps honest people honest. That's not going to keep a real bad guy out. It's not a deterrent to him. But that will help keep honest people honest. It's just enough of a deterrent to slow them down and keep them from crossing the starting line. I think that this never spending time alone with the opposite sex is kind of like a chain link fence. Check out what the writer said in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Proverbs 5, 1 through 8. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman or man drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she's as bitter as gall, as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to, the, to death and her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she doesn't know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Do not be alone with a member of the opposite sex. Number four. This is straight out of my marriage. <laughs> you can tell Trina I said that. Cooperation, not competition. Marriage is about cooperation, not competition. Trina and I are super competitive personalities. We're one of those rare couples that we're very similar in personality. And like they say, opposites attract, and we're not. We're almost identical personality types. 
type A, hard-charging, competitive, you know, get-after-it kind of people. And that creates some friction in our marriage sometimes. It gets ugly sometimes in our marriage. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth here. Just trying to be honest with you. But I know, and she knows, that marriage was not designed for competition, but was designed for cooperation. Think about it. When God gave us marriage, it was right after he created Adam, and he created Adam at the end of the creation. He's got Adam there, and he's in the garden, and things are good, and God said it's good, and he sees Adam, and Adam's chilling, and he's doing his thing, and, and God says, you know what? Adam's alone, and it's not good for Adam to be alone. Adam needs a, a helpmate. He's incomplete. He's incomplete. And so God created Eve. And he gave Adam to Eve and Eve to Adam. And he put them together. And he gave mankind the gift of marriage, the covenant of marriage. Now, what did God do when he put Adam and Eve together in that covenant of marriage? Well, he poured all of his masculine character qualities into Adam. And he poured all of his feminine character qualities into Eve. And together, the man and the woman in the context of marriage are a more complete, a more accurate reflection of the fullness of God. It's made for cooperation, not competition. We're supposed to cooperate. When we are cooperating with each other in marriage, I'm just talking about protecting your marriage now. When we're cooperating with, we, with each other in marriage, when the wife isn't trying to win the race to the pants every morning, that's a little analogy that we like to use and we laugh about it, right? I mean, Trina and I, we compete sometimes for who's going to be the lead dog in this race. When, when, we're, when we're not doing that and cooperating, life is, is much better. Life is, life is pretty good. When I am embracing my masculine character qualities and she's embracing her feminine character qualities of God, when I step up and lead and don't leave a leadership void for her to try to fill, ouch. Because if I leave a void, she will try to fill it. But if I will lead, my wife is very good to follow. She's one of the best helpmates I've ever known when I lead right. When I lead wrong, in other words, fail to lead, she's not a helpmate anymore. She's competition, and I'm trying to beat her back into the position of leadership. And it gets ugly sometimes. Cooperation, not competition. Embracing your masculine, feminine character qualities of God. Made to complete each other. Not compete with each other. It's like that silly Jerry Maguire movie. You complete me. There's some truth to that. And if we're going to complete each other, if we're going to really not compete with each other, there's a, there's a really hard thing that we're going to have to do. And it's not about leadership and who wins the race to the pants. It's, it's not about positional stuff. It's not about following and submitting. We've got to be honest with each other. We're going to have to be really, really honest with each other. That's the spirit of cooperation God's looking for. To be open with each other. To be intimate with each other, physically, but emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. We're in a one flesh relationship. There were two, now there's one. It really messes up your math concepts. One plus one is supposed to be two. But in marriage, one plus one is one. 
Because God binds together the two parts and makes one entity. You cannot operate as one entity when there is uh, things that, when there are things that are hidden, when there's untruth between you, when you're hiding things from your spouse, when you have not been open about maybe your past indiscretions, maybe adultery in your own heart, in your own mind. You might need to confess some stuff today. I told you it might get uncomfortable. I'm confident that there are people, I'd be shocked if it wasn't in every marriage in this room today, that there's some confession that needs to happen when you get home. Confessing infidelity, adultery in your heart. Some of you may need to confess adultery that was physical. Your spouse probably already knows it. They're in denial. They've known it. They knew it the moment it started happening. Time to come clean. It's time to get real. It's time to get dirty. Because you cannot operate as one flesh when that lie exists, when that unrepentant, unforgiven sin resides in your hearts and in your marriage. It's a division between you. The only thing that will bridge that gap is to come clean and then for the other partner to forgive. I came clean with Trina about the porn that I saw on the TV because I saw it all. It was all there. And, and my mind, man, it was, it, was, it was a tight race as to what I did next. I called her and I told her about it. When she came home, I told her about it again, and we talked about it. While we were talking about that, we went ahead and opened up the books about the other things that had been going on. You know, we do this a couple times a year. Because in the course of day-to-day -day life, you see things, you think things, you do things, and then you try to hide those things. You want to hold on to those things. You don't want your spouse to know. And then the conviction eventually gets so uncomfortable. You have a decision to make. You either need to, to deal with it or don't deal with it. And a lot of us choose not to. Trina and I learned a long time ago to deal with it. I want to invite you into the, the joy that comes when you get it on the table and deal with it. It's going to hurt to hear these things from your husband or your wife. It's going to stink. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt. You need to be ready to receive that confession, and you better be ready to extend forgiveness. And if it sounds like this is a recipe for divorce rather than protecting from divorce, if you think keeping things a secret is going to protect you from divorce, you need to understand the Bible says your sins will find you out. Whatever you're trying to hide is going to be revealed. A pastor I used to, to listen to and follow said, whatever you cover, God will uncover. But if you will uncover your sin, confess your sin, ask for forgiveness, God will cover that with His grace. The ministry of reconciliation needs to flow in some marriages today. And it needs to start with being dead honest, totally honest honest, brutally honest, and confess to one another. The Bible says confess your sins to one another that they may be healed, that you may be healed. The healing starts with the confession. It continues with the forgiveness, the reconciliation. 
Some of you may need to spend some time in marriage counseling, Christian marriage counseling in the weeks, months ahead. This is going to get ugly before it gets better. But I promise you this, if you think you're protecting it, by the marriage by hiding any of this stuff, it's going to blow up. And when it does, it's going to be bigger. It's going to be nastier. It's going to be worse. It's going to rain down darker on you. And you are probably going to lose so much of what you have gained over the years in that marital relationship. You may lose the marriage entirely. Confess your sins. Forgive one another. Let the healing flow. Probably should have ended on that one, but I didn't. I thought I'd leave us on a little bit of a higher note. Point number five, don't withhold intimacy. You want to protect your marriage? You want to shield yourself from divorce and from adultery? Don't withhold intimacy. I'm talking about emotional intimacy, connecting on that emotional plane, and I'm talking about physical intimacy. I'm talking about sex. Now, I don't know that I've ever encountered a situation where a gentleman does what I'm about to talk about, but ladies, I've had many confess to me that this is something that they do. Guys, same thing. If you're doing it, you're included in this. But ladies... When you use sex as a reward or punishment, you are out of line, biblically. Not Todd talking, you can crucify me all you want to, it isn't me. Don't email me, don't call me. Well, you can, that's all right, I'll take your emails and your calls. But I don't say this, it's biblical. Gentlemen, if you're manipulating your wife with sex, somehow, some way, you're out of line. Biblically, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5. Paul is writing and he says, Husbands should fulfill, or husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps, perhaps. By mutual consent and for a time. Oh, there's some good application here. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you for your lack of self-control. I think Paul had a pretty good idea who he was dealing with. Because I think we all lack self-control. We have these God-given sexual desires. And the devil likes to mess with us and twist those desires and let them go kind of haywire and mess us up. And, and we, we think we can't be fulfilled in our marital relationship. And so we go looking elsewhere. And maybe we think we can't be fulfilled because sex is being leveraged against us as some kind of a tool to manipulate our behavior. Oh, you were a good boy. You might get lucky tonight. Oh, you are a bad boy. You can hang it up. I heard a story about a, a wife who threw her pants to her husband and said, put those on. Pulled them up. Couldn't get them any higher than about right here. And he goes, I, I, I can't get in your pants. Or, she goes, yeah, and you never will again until you do X, Y, Z. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Whew, tough crowd, man. <laughs> you can't use sex as a manipulation tool. It's not a crowbar. It's not a hammer. 
to beat somebody with. You don't withhold it to get certain behaviors. You don't give it to get certain behaviors. Your body does not belong to you alone. You're in a one flesh relationship. Ladies, you're hating me right now, and that's okay. Because I got something for the guys too, and you're going to like me a lot more. Gentlemen, if you are wasting your sexual energy, if you are wasting your intimate creativity on pornography, on masturbation, he said the M word. If you're wasting it, in an affair of your heart, your mind, or in the physical flesh. Man, you're missing out. If you are doing that, it goes to what I said a moment ago, you believe that God can't or won't fulfill you sexually in the relationship that you have with your wife. But the Bible says that God will fulfill us in every way. And that He has our best in His heart. He has our best, His best, in store for us. But we're not willing to do what it takes to get God's best. So we settle for, if you will pardon the term, sloppy seconds going after what we can come up with. what we can find on the web or in a magazine. If you're putting your sexual energy and creativity into that, you're giving your wife what's left, if anything? Dude, you're not a man. Because I promise you, plumbing does not a male make, or a man make. It might make you a male. But you're not a man. And you're not being a husband, and you're not following Christ. You're not honoring the vows that you've made. You're not leading her. You're not giving her or God your best, and you're certainly not getting the best that God has in store for you. And I can promise you, you're not getting the best of what your wife has either. If you think you can't be sexually fulfilled with your wife, man, you really have a heart issue, a serious heart issue. You either don't trust God, don't believe God, or maybe don't even believe in God. The truth about sex is this. Sex ain't dirty. Sex ain't wrong. Sex is good. It's real good when it's done God's way. God created it. He designed it. He's the author of it. He's the giver of that gift. He wrapped that gift in marriage. And when you do sex God's way, one man, one woman, in the covenant of Christian marriage, it's a beautiful thing. And you will be fulfilled. It starts with trusting Him. Guys, we've got to protect our marriages. Ladies, 
We've got to protect our marriages. Single ladies, you better be protecting the marriage of that man or that woman that's around you, those men and those women. Single men, same thing. Don't be, don't be wrecking marriages. Don't be attacking what God has put together. It's time for the church to be real. Time for us to be real. To be real here as a body of believers. To be real out there in that world. I mean, right out these doors, two out of three people in our community don't know Jesus. Two out of three, right here in the Bible Belt. And we're reflecting Him, or we're supposed to be, in our marriages, in our individual lives. As followers of Him, we're supposed to be reflecting His image. We just talked about being salty two weeks ago. About creating thirst in the people around us. How's your marriage? How's your walk with Christ? If you're thirsty for more yourself, you have some steps to start with. If you're not thirsty, are you making others thirsty? And if you're not, you have some steps to start with. Valentine's Day is this week. There'll be lots of candy and cards and flowers. Elevation Church, I hope that regardless of what candy, cards, and flowers, whatever jewelry, whatever gift you're giving, that you will give the gift of real, honest, down and dirty, true love to your spouse and to your God.